Chapter Fifty Eight of Varney the Vampire by Thomas Prescott Prest. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Laurel Anderson. Chapter Fifty Eight The Mysterious Stranger. The Particulars of the Suicide at Bannerworth Hall. "'Hello! Where the deuce is he?' said the Admiral. "'Was there ever such a confounded take-in?' "'Well, I really don't know,' said Mr. Chillingworth. "'But it seems to me that he must have gone out of the door that was behind him. "'I begin—do you know, Admiral, to wish—what?' "'That we had never come here at all, and I think that the sooner we get out of it the better.' "'Yes, but I am not going to be hoaxed and humbugged in this way. "'I will have satisfaction, but not with those confounded sighs and things he talks about in the dark room. "'Give me broad daylight and no favour, yard-arm and yard-arm, broadside and broadside, hand-grenades and marling-spikes. "'Well, but that's what he won't do. "'Now, Admiral, listen to me. "'Well, go on, what next? "'Come away at once. "'Oh, you said that before. "'Yes, but I'm going to say something else.' Look round you. Don't you think this is a large, scientific-looking room? What of that? Why, what if, suppose, it was to become as dark as the grave, and Varney was to enter with his scythe that he talks of, and begin mowing about our legs? The devil! Come along! The door at which they entered was at this moment opened, and the old woman made her appearance. Please, sir, she said, here's a Mr. Mortimer, in a loud voice. Ah, oh, Sir Francis ain't here! Where's he gone, gentlemen? "'To the devil!' said the Admiral. "'Who may Mr. Mortimer be?' There walked past the woman a stout, portly-looking man, well-dressed, but with a very odd look upon his face, in consequence of an obliquity of vision, which prevented the possibility of knowing which way he was looking. "'I must see him,' he said. "'I must see him!' Mr. Chillingworth started back as if in amazement. "'Good God!' he cried. "'You? Here?' "'Confusion!' said Mortimer. "'Are you... Dr. Dr. Chillingworth. The same. Hush! There is no occasion to betray, that is, to state my secret. And mine, too, said Chillingworth. But what brings you here? I cannot and dare not tell you. Farewell. He turned abruptly, and was leaving the room, but he ran against someone at the entrance, and in another moment Henry Bannerworth, heated and almost breathless by evident haste, made his appearance. "'Hello! Bravo!' cried the Admiral. "'The more the merrier. Here's a combined squadron. Why, how came you here, Mr. Henry Bannerworth?' "'Bannerworth?' said Mortimer. "'Is this young man's name Bannerworth?' "'Yes,' said Henry. "'Do you know me, sir?' "'No, no, only I—I I must be off. Does anyone know anything of Sir Francis Varney?' "'We did know something of him,' said the Admiral, a little while ago, but he's taken himself off. "'Don't you do so likewise. "'If you've got anything to say, stop and say it like an Englishman.' "'Stuff, stuff!' said Mortimer, impatiently. "'What do you all want here?' "'Why, Sir Francis Varney,' said Henry, "'and I care not if the whole world heard it, "'is the persecutor of my family.' "'How? In what way?' "'He has the reputation of a vampire. "'He has hunted me and mine from house and home.' "'Indeed!' "'Yes!' cried Dr. Chillingworth, and by some means or other he seems determined to get possession of Bannerworth Hall. "'Well, gentlemen,' said Mortimer, "'I promise you that I will inquire into this. Mr. Chillingworth, I did not expect to meet you. Perhaps the least we say to each other is, after all, the better.' "'Let me ask but one question,' said Dr. Chillingworth, imploringly. "'Ask it.' 
Did he live after— Hush! He did. You always told me to the contrary. Yes, I had an object. The game is up. Farewell. And, gentlemen, as I am making my exit, let me do so with a sentiment. Society at large is divided into two great classes. And what may they be? said the Admiral. Those who have been hanged, and those who have not. Adieu. He turned and left the room, and Mr. Chillingworth sunk into a chair, and said in a low voice, "'It is uncommonly true, and I've found out an acquaintance among the former.' "'Damn it! You all seem mad!' said the Admiral. "'I can't make out what you are about. How came you here, Mr. Henry Bannerworth?' "'By mere accident I heard,' said Henry, "'that you were keeping watch and ward in the hall.' "'Admiral, it was cruel and not well done of you to attempt such an enterprise without acquainting me with it. Did you suppose for a moment that I, who had the greatest interest in this affair, would have shrunk from danger, if danger there be, or lacked perseverance, if that quality were necessary, in carrying out any plan by which the safety and honour of my family might be preserved?' "'Now, now, my young friend,' said Mr. Chillingworth, "'May, sir, but I take it ill that I should have been kept out of this affair, and it should have been sedulously, as it were, kept a secret from me.' "'Let him go on as he likes,' said the Admiral. "'Boys will be boys. After all, you know, Doctor, it's my affair and not yours. Let him say what he likes. Where's the odds? It's of no consequence.' "'I do not expect, Admiral Bell,' said Henry, "'that it is to you, but it is to me.' "'Pshaw! Respecting you, sir, as I do—' "'Gammon!' I must confess that I did expect what you didn't get, therefore that's an end of that. Now I tell you what, Henry, Sir Francis Varney is within this house. At least I have reason to suppose so. Then, exclaimed Henry impetuously, I will wring from him answers to various questions which concern my peace and happiness. Please, gentlemen, said the woman Deborah, making her appearance, Sir Francis Varney has gone out, and he says I'm to show you all the door as soon as it is convenient for you all to walk out of it. I feel convinced, said Mr. Chillingworth, that it will be a useless search now to attempt to find Sir Francis Varney here. Let me beg of you all to come away, and believe me that I do not speak lightly, or with a view to get you from here, when I say that after I have heard something from you, Henry, which I shall ask you to relate to me, painful though it may be, I shall be able to suggest some explanation of many things which appear at present obscure, and to put you in a course of freeing you from difficulties which surround you, which, heaven knows, I little expected I should have it in my power to propose to any of you. I will follow your advice, Mr. Chillingworth, said Henry, for I have always found that it has been dictated by good feeling as well as correct judgment. Admiral Bell, you will oblige me by coming away with me now and at once. Well, remarked the Admiral, if the doctor has really something to say, it alters the appearance of things, and, of course, I have no objection. Upon this, the whole three of them immediately left the place, and it was evident that Mr. Chillingworth had something of an uncomfortable character upon his mind. He was unusually silent and reserved, and when he did speak, he seemed rather inclined to turn the conversation upon indifferent topics, than to add anything more to what he had said upon the deeply interesting one, which held so foremost a place in all their minds. "'How is Flora now?' he asked of Henry, since her removal. "'Anxious still,' said Henry, "'but I think better.' That is well. I perceive that, naturally, we are all three walking towards Bannerworth Hall, and perhaps it is as well on that spot I should ask of you, Henry, to indulge me with a confidence, such as under ordinary circumstances I should not at all feel myself justified in requiring of you. 
"'To what does it relate?' said Henry. "'You may be assured, Mr. Chillingworth, that I am not likely to refuse my confidence to you, whom I have so much reason to respect as an attached friend of myself and my family.' "'You will not object, likewise, I hope,' added Mr. Chillingworth, "'to extend that confidence to Admiral Bell, for, as you well know, a truer and more warm-hearted man than he does not exist.' "'What do you expect for that, doctor?' said the Admiral. "'There is nothing,' said Henry, "'that I could relate at all that I should shrink from relating to Admiral Bell.' "'Well, my boy,' said the Admiral, "'all I can reply to you is, you are quite right, "'for there can be nothing that you need shrink from telling me, "'so far as regards the fact of trusting me with it goes.' "'I am assured of that. "'A British officer, once pledging his word, "'prefers death to breaking it. "'Whatever you wish kept secret in the communication you make to me, "'say so, and it will never pass my lips.' "'Why, sir, the fact is,' said Henry, "'that what I am about to relate to you "'consists of much of secrets as of matters "'which would be painful to my feelings "'to talk of more than may absolutely be required.' "'I understand you.' "'Let me for a moment,' said Mr. Chillingworth, "'put myself right. "'I do not suspect, Mr. Henry Bannerworth, "'that you fancy I ask you to make a recital "'of circumstances which must be painful to you "'from any idle motive.' but let me declare that I have now a stronger impulse, which induces me to wish to hear from your own lips those matters which popular rumour may have greatly exaggerated or vitiated. It is scarcely possible, remarked Henry sadly, that popular rumour should exaggerate the facts. Indeed! No, they are unhappily of themselves, in their bare truthfulness, so full of all that can be grievous to those who are in any way connected with them, that there needs no exaggeration to invest them with more terror, or with more of that sadness which must ever belong to a recollection of them in my mind. In such like discourse as this the time was passed, until Henry Bannerworth and friends once more reached the hall, from which he, with his family, had so recently removed, in consequence of the fearful persecution to which they had been subjected. They passed again into the garden which they all knew so well, and then Henry paused and looked around him with a deep sigh. In answer to an inquiring glance from Mr. Chillingworth, he said, is it not strange now that i should have only been away from here a space of time which may be counted by hours and yet all seems changed i could almost fancy that years had elapsed since i had looked at it oh remarked the doctor time is always by the imagination measured by the number of events which are crowded into a given space of it and not by its actual duration come into the house there you will find all just as you left it henry and you can tell us your story at leisure the air, said Henry, about here, is fresh and pleasant. Let us sit down in the summer-house yonder, and there I will tell you all. It has a local interest, too, connected with this tale. This was agreed to, and in a few moments the Admiral, Mr. Chillingworth, and Henry were seated in the same summer-house which had witnessed the strange interview between Sir Francis Varney and Flora Bannerworth, in which he had induced her to believe that he felt for the distress he had occasioned her, and was strongly impressed with the injustice of her sufferings. Henry was silent for some few moments, and then he said, with a deep sigh, as he looked mournfully around him, "'It was on this spot that my father breathed his last, and hence have I said that it has a local interest in the tale I have to tell, which makes it the most fitting place in which to tell it.' "'No,' said the Admiral. "'He died here, did he?' "'Yes, where you are now sitting.' "'Very good. I have seen many a brave man die in my time, and I hope to see a few more.' 
although I grant you the death in the heat of conflict and fighting for our country is a vastly different thing to some shore-going mode of leaving the world. Yes, said Henry, as if pursuing his own meditation rather than listening to the admiral. Yes, it was from this precise spot that my father took his last look at the ancient house of his race. What we can now see of it, he saw of it with his dying eyes, and many a time I have sat here and fancied the world of terrible thoughts that must at such a moment have come across his brain. You might well do so, said the doctor. You see, added Henry, that from here the fullest view you have of any of the windows of the house is of that of Flora's room, as we have always called it, because for years she had had it as her chamber, and when all the vegetation of summer is in its prime, and the vine which you perceive crawls over the summer-house is full of leaf and fruit, the view is so much hindered that it is difficult, without making an artificial gap in the clustering foliage, to see anything but the window. So I should imagine, replied Mr. Trillingworth. "'You, doctor,' added Henry, who know much of my family, need not be told what sort of man my father was. "'No, indeed. But you, Admiral Bell, who do not know, must be told, and however grievous it may be to have to say so, I must inform you that he was not a man who would have merited your esteem.' "'Well,' said the Admiral, "'you know, my boy, that can make no difference as regards you in any one's mind, who has got the brains of an owl.' Every man's credit, character, and honor, to my thinking, is in his own most special keeping, and let your father be what he might, or who he might, I do not see that any conduct of his ought to raise upon your cheek the flush of shame, or cost you more uneasiness than ordinary good feeling dictates to the errors and feelings of a fellow-creature. <sighs> if all the world, said Henry, would take such liberal and comprehensive views as you do, Admiral, it would be much happier than it is but such is not the case, and people are but too apt to blame one person for the evil that another has done. "'Ah, but,' said Mr. Chillingworth, "'it so happens that those are the people whose opinions are of the very least consequence.' "'There is some truth in that,' said Henry sadly. "'But, however, let me proceed. Since I have to tell the tale, I could wish it over.' My father then, Admiral Bell, although a man not tainted in early life with vices, became, by the force of bad associates, and a sort of want of congeniality and sentiment that sprang up between him and my mother, plunged into all the excesses of his age. These excesses were all of the character which the most readily hold strongly of an unreflecting mind, because they all presented themselves in the garb of sociality. The wine-cup is drained in the name of good fellowship. Money which is wanted for legitimate purposes is squandered under the mask of a noble and free generosity, and all that the small imagination of a number of persons of perverted intellects could enable them to do has been done, from time to time, to impart a kind of luster to intemperance and all its dreadful and criminal consequences. My father, having once got into the company of what he considered wits and men of spirit, soon became thoroughly vitiated. He was almost the only one of the set among whom he passed what he considered his highly convivial existence, who was really worth anything, pecuniarily speaking. There were some among them who might have been respectable men, and perchance carved their way to fortune, as well as some others who had started in life with good patrimonies, but he, my father, at the time he became associated with them, was the only one, as I say, who, to use a phrase I have heard myself from his lips concerning them, had got a feather to fly with. 
The consequence of this was that his society, merely for the sake of the animal gratification of drinking at his expense, was courted, and he was much flattered, all of which he laid to the score of his own merits, which had been found out and duly appreciated by these bon vivants, while he considered that the grave admonitions of his real friends proceeded from nothing in the world but downright envy and malice. Such a state of things as this could not last very long. The associates of my father wanted money as well as wine, so they introduced him to the gaming-table, and he became fascinated with the fearful vice to an extent which predicted his own destruction and the ruin of every one who was in any way dependent upon him. He could not absolutely sell Bannerworth Hall unless I had given my consent, which I refused. But he accumulated debt upon debt, and from time to time stripped the mansion of all its most costly contents. With various mutations of fortune, he continued this horrible and baneful career for a long time, until at last he found himself utterly and irretrievably ruined, and he came home in an agony of despair, being so weak and utterly ruined in constitution, that he kept his bed for many days. It appeared, however, that something occurred at this juncture which gave him actually, or all events awakened, a hope that he should possess some money, and be again in a position to try his fortune at the gaming-table. He rose, and fortifying himself once more with the strong stimulant of wine and spirits, he left his home and was absent for about two months. What occurred to him during that time we none of us ever knew, but one late night he came home, evidently much flurried in manner, and seeming as if something had happened to drive him half mad. He would not speak to any one, but he shut himself up the whole of the night in the chamber where hangs the portrait that bears so strong a resemblance to Sir Francis Varney, and there he remained till the morning when he emerged and said briefly that he intended to leave the country. He was in a most fearful state of nervousness, and my mother tells me that he shook like one in an ague, and started at every little sound that occurred in the house, and glared about him so wildly that it was horrible to see him, or to sit in the same apartment with him. She says that the whole morning passed on in this way till a letter came to him, the contents of which appeared to throw him into a perfect convulsion of terror, and he retired again to the room with the portrait where he remained some hours and then he emerged, looking like a ghost, so dreadfully pale and haggard was he. He walked into the garden here, and was seen to sit down in the summer-house, and fix his eyes upon the window of that apartment. Henry paused for a few moments, and then he added, "'You will excuse me from entering upon any details of what next ensued in this melancholy history. My father here committed suicide. He was found dying, and all the words he spoke were, "'The money is hidden.' Death claimed his victim, and with a convulsive spasm he resigned his spirit, leaving what he had intended to say hidden in the oblivion of the grave. "'That was an odd affair,' said the Admiral. "'It was, indeed. We have all pondered deeply, and the result was that, upon the whole, we were inclined to come to an opinion that the words he so uttered were but the result of the mental disturbance that at such a moment might well be supposed to be ensuing in the mind.' and that they really related to no foregone fact any more than some incoherent words uttered by a man in a dream might be supposed to do so. It may be so. I do not mean, remarked Mr. Chillingworth, for one moment to attempt to dispute, Henry, the rationality of such an opinion as you have just given utterance to. But you forget that another circumstance occurred which gave a color to the words used by your father. Yes, I know to which you allude. Be so good as to state it to the Admiral. I will. On the evening of that same day there came a man here, 
who, in seeming ignorance of what had occurred, although by that time it was well known to all the neighborhood, asked to see my father. Upon being told that he was dead, he started back, either with well-acted or with real surprise, and seemed to be immensely chagrined. He then demanded to know if he had left any disposition of his property, but he got no information, and departed, muttering the most diabolical oaths and curses that can be imagined. He mounted his horse, for he had ridden to the hall, and his last words were, as I am told, "'Where, in the name of all that's damnable, can he have put the money?' "'And did you never find out who this man was?' asked the Admiral. "'Never.' "'It is an odd affair.' "'It is,' said Mr. Chillingworth, and full of mystery. "'The public mind was much taken up at the time with some other matters, "'or it would have made the death of Mr. Bannerworth a subject of more prolific comment than it did. "'As it was, however, a great deal was said upon the subject, "'and the whole county was in a state of commotion for weeks afterwards.' "'Yes,' said Henry, "'it so happened that about that very time a murder was committed in the neighbourhood of London, "'which baffled all the exertions of the authorities to discover the perpetrators of. "'It was the murder of Lord Lorne.' "'Oh, I remember,' said the Admiral. "'The newspapers were full of it for a long time.' "'They were, and more so, as Mr. Chillingworth says, "'the more exciting interest which that affair created "'drew off public attention in a great measure from my father's suicide, "'and we did not suffer so much from public remark "'and from impertinent curiosity as might have been expected.' "'And in addition,' said Mr. Chillingworth, "'and he changed colour a little as he spoke,' "'There was an execution shortly afterwards.' "'Yes,' said Henry, "'there was.' "'The execution of a man named Angerstein,' added Mr. Chillingworth, "'for a highway robbery, attended with the most brutal violence.' "'True, all the affairs of that period of time are strongly impressed upon my mind,' said Henry. "'But you do not seem well, Mr. Chillingworth.' "'Oh, yes, I am quite well. You are mistaken.' Both the Admiral and Henry looked scrutinizingly at the doctor, who certainly appeared to them to be laboring under some great mental excitement, which he found almost beyond his power to repress. "'I tell you what it is, doctor,' said the Admiral. "'I don't pretend, and never did, to see further through a tar-barrel than my neighbours, but I can see far enough to feel convinced that you have got something on your mind, and that it somehow concerns this affair.' "'Is it so?' said Henry. "'I cannot, if I would,' said Mr. Chillingworth, "'and I may with truth add that I would not, if I could, "'hide from you that I have something on my mind connected with this affair. "'But let me assure you it would be premature of me to tell you of it.' "'Premature be damned,' said the Admiral. "'Out with it!' "'Nay, nay, dear sir, I am not now in a position to say what is passing through my mind.' "'Alter your position, then, and be blowed!' cried Jack Pringle, suddenly stepping forward, and giving the doctor such a push that he nearly went through one of the sides of the summer-house. "'Why, you scoundrel!' cried the Admiral. "'How came you here?' "'On my legs,' said Jack. "'Do you think nobody wants to know nothing but yourself? I'm as fond of a yarn as anybody.' "'But if you are,' said Mr. Chillingworth, "'you had no occasion to come against me as if you wanted to move a house.' "'You said as you wasn't in a position to say something as I wanted to hear, "'so I thought I'd alter it for you.' "'Is this fellow,' said the doctor, shaking his head as he accosted the Admiral, "'the most artful or stupid?' "'A little of both,' said Admiral Bell. "'A little of both, doctor. He's a great fool and a great scamp.' "'The same to you,' said Jack. "'You're another. I shall hate you presently if you go on making yourself so ridiculous.' "'Now, mind, I'll only give you a trial of another week or so, "'and if you don't be more polite in your damn language, I'll leave you.' 
Away strolled Jack, with his hands in his pockets, toward the house, while the Admiral was half choked with rage and could only glare after him, without the ability to say a word. Under any other circumstances than the present one of trouble and difficulty and deep anxiety, Henry Bannerworth must have laughed at these singular little episodes between Jack and the Admiral, but his mind was now by far too much harassed to permit him to do so. "'Let him go, let him go, my dear sir,' said Mr. Chillingworth to the Admiral, who showed some signs of an intention to pursue Jack. "'He no doubt has been drinking again.' "'I'll turn him off the first moment I catch him sober enough to understand me,' said the Admiral. "'Well, well, do as you please. But now let me ask a favour of both of you.' "'What is it?' "'That you will leave Bannerworth Hall to me for a week.' "'What for?' I hope to make some discoveries connected with it, which shall well reward you for the trouble. It's no trouble, said Henry, and for myself, I have amply sufficient faith, both in your judgment and in your friendship, doctor, to accede to any request which you may make to me. And I, said the Admiral, be it so, be it so. For one week, you say? Yes, for one week. I hope, by the end of that time, to have achieved something worth the telling of, and I promise you that if I am at all disappointed in my expecting that I will frankly and freely communicate to you all I know, and all I suspect. Then that's a bargain. It is. And what's to be done at once? Why, nothing, but to take the greatest possible care that Bannerworth Hall is not left another hour without someone in it, and in order that such should be the case, I have to request that you two will remain here until I go to the town, and make preparations for taking quiet possession of it myself, which I will do in the course of two hours at most. Don't be longer, said the Admiral, for I am so desperately hungry that I shall certainly begin to eat somebody if you are. Depend upon me. "'Very well,' said Henry. "'You may depend we will wait here until you come back.' The doctor at once hurried from the garden, leaving Henry and the Admiral to amuse themselves as best they might, with conjectures as to what he was really about, until his return. End of chapter 61 Recording by Laurel Anderson, Sanford, Florida